Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome into the QB SCO Show. This is episode 20, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at bleedinggreennation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, here with me to help break down the quarterbacks around the league and in the draft is QB1 in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Follow his work for the 15 places he works for. Mark, how you doing, brother? <laughs> is it just 15? I'm starting to lose count. Yeah, I'm t- telling you. Titles, 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 titles. And Mr. Kiss, good to have you back. You've spent some time at Disney, I understand. It was good to hear from you. Good to yeah. have you back in the seat. And let's kick it off with ye old historical reference. We're going to have a musical one. I've got two. We're going to have a musical one in a second. And again, we're we're going to continue with the theme of Mark dates himself on the QB Go show. More on that in a second. But first, did you know we are recording this on today, Friday, April 5th? On this date in 1792, some constitutional history in our fair country was made. President George Washington exercises the very first presidential veto. There was a bill that had passed Congress and it introduced a plan for divided seats in the House of Representatives that would have increased the amount of seats for northern states. Washington from Virginia consults with his divided cabinet on this issue and decides, you know what? I think this is unconstitutional because of math. Yes, math, my friend Michael. Thomas Jefferson writes in a letter to his president that votes for or against the bill were divided upon geographical lines. But Jefferson also convinced the president to veto the bill on the grounds that it was unconstitutional and suggested apportionment based on pure math because math, it is something about which, quote, no two men can reasonably differ, end quote. And I would like to introduce Thomas Jefferson's ghost to draft Twitter, but that's a conversation for another time. The other thing I will mention on this date in 1994, Kurt Cobain takes his own life. And I remember this, Michael, because it was the night of my junior prom in high school. Oh, wow. Sitting in my living room. I've got the tux on. I've got the boutonniere in my hand, ready to pin it on my date. And I'm watching MTV News. And I'm like, this is a dark. I remember sitting in my living room telling my parents just how dark a day it was. And my parents are like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't understand. I'm sitting there. I'm like Jon Snow. I'm brooding. I'm like, you don't understand what this means to my generation. Man, I was a little bit of a drama queen in high school and probably still am. But there you go. Yeah. Some historical references for you, the gentle listeners. Yeah, I saw a bunch of Cobain stuff when I came back onto the timeline. So I'm plugged for a couple of days while I was uh, was at Disney there. And uh, I had just listened to a bunch of podcasts about uh, Cobain recently. So yeah, I mean, that's that's wild. I, I don't remember where I was like you do, but I remember where I was for the past couple of days. And let me tell you, uh, if I have a historical reference, it would probably be the Great Cavalry Raid of Subadai and Yebe, the generals for Genghis Khan as they worked their way across with a small scouting force of about 20,000 riders across the European steppe, ran into the Russians who had no idea why they were there. 
They smash through some armies. They think they're there for conquest, but it's really just a scouting raid, just a small force. Subodai just runs through these guys, and they're in Kiev in Russia. Once they beat the army, they get together all the nobles, and you know they do their normal pillaging and everything like that. But they get 10,000 people together, and they rope them together like cordwood, and they lay them all down. And then they build this victory stage, essentially. So they're building this stage on top of the 10,000 people that are roped together. And they have lunch on top of these people as they suffocate and get squished and just die and are yelling out from underneath the floorboards as the Mongols can hear them screaming in agony the entire time. I was listening to this podcast. It's a hardcore history podcast on the Mongolians on my way to Disney. And I, and I know how the crowds <laughs> there work. And I was trying to think, is this like Disney or is this like the final month before the draft? Because we're almost there, Mark. We are almost to the draft. We're under the floorboards right now. We're screaming in agony. But one day those boards will be lifted and we'll get out. Unlike no, those they won't, Michael. Because you know what <laughs> happens the day this draft ends. Well, look, I'm watching this game, and Tua puts this outrun on the back left shoulder of the receiver, and I just don't know about him. I don't think Tua is going to be the quarterback that was promised. Hmm. The takes will start there, yeah. and so we are, draft Twitter, we are perpetually under the floorboards. Let's let's get into some draft stuff, and you made this easy for me because I've been out of town and doing family stuff, so I didn't have a whole lot of time to fully prep for a show with a with a unique topic. But you made a really unique topic and made an article out of that for Matt Waldman's RSP. That's at mattwaldmanrsp.com. Waldman is my dude; he is awesome. And the title of this article here, let's dive right into it, is Mark Schofield's 2019 NFL Draft QB Comps That Matter. Game of Thrones edition, which just ties perfectly into what we do here on the QB Sco Show with the historical references, with the Game of Thrones love. So let, let's dig into this. One, one thing that I saw was interesting was your Daniel Jones comp, and I'm pulling it up right now, but I've got some stats to, to back up some of what you're saying here. And you comped Daniel Jones to both Jon Snow and Aegon Targaryen. Can you kind of explain that? Because Jon Snow being a, being a very popular guy, and I think if you've listened to the show, gentle listener, over, over a period of time, you would understand that me and Mark are somewhat low on Jones. We recently did on QBSCO Show 19, top five QB rankings for the NFL draft, and Jones was not even in that top five. So Mark, what does Jon Snow and Daniel Jones and Aegon Targaryen have to do with each other? Let's preface it this way, and... For those that have read the books, for those that have watched the show, it's pretty easy to root for Jon Snow, or as his name might actually be, Aegon Targaryen, because look, introduced to us as a bastard, right? He doesn't know who his mother is. And his supposed father, Ned Stark, tells him, you know, next time we see each other, I'll tell you who your mother is. And of course, they never see each other again. We slowly start to learn throughout the books and then obviously more through the shows that look, 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 his his background is a little bit different than the legends tell you. But in the meantime, he's out there. He's trying to do what he believes is right. He's out there beyond the wall. Then he becomes Lord Commander of the Night's Watch and he lets the free folk in and he gets murdered for it. And so you can't help but root for this guy. And of course, it doesn't help that he looks every bit the part of the hero. He's, let's face it, he's a good looking man devilishly handsome in that brooding sense. And so you look at a guy like that who also has had his values instilled in him by quote unquote coaches in Westeros, like Ned Stark, like Amon Targaryen, like Lord Commander Jorah Mormont. And it looks like this is the guy that you could 
build everything around, whether it's a football franchise or, you know, the North. But then when you start to look, dig in a little bit, some of the decision-making is pretty questionable. Yeah. I mean, whether it's you greet, look, it was a great storyline, but he broke his vows. He becomes Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, and he sort of basically commits treason by letting the three free folk through the wall. And while that makes sense on some level, it gets him killed. When he's revived, he's named King of the North, and what does he do? He goes south, which is a risky decision because let's not forget, both his grandfather and his uncle made that same sort of trip, or at least his supposed grandfather, uncle, and they didn't come home. Mm. You know, last time they went south to meet with to treat with a Targaryen. And so some questionable decision making. Then, of course, at the end of season seven, yeah. we probably should have spoiled all this stuff, but whatever. If you made it this far, you're not <laughs> gonna get spoiled. He's get he's asked by Cersei, like flat out, you know, are you supported Daenerys? And while he's agreed to it, the easy decision would have been, no, of course not. No, no, no. I'm just here. And he's like, no, I can't tell a lie. Look, like, again, George Washington style. I can't tell a lie. Yeah, I've bet the knee. And of course, yeah. it throws everything into shambles. And Terry, it's like, dude. Can you just once? <laughs> can you just once not be you? And so, yes, he looks every bit the part, but the decision making is questionable. And that brings us to Daniel Jones, because similarly, look, he looks the part of a first-round quarterback. Clean mechanics. He's got the athleticism behind it. He's got a decent enough arm. And then, yes, there's the fact that he's been tutored or mentored or whatever you want to call it by Cutcliffe, you know, sort of the Ned Stark in this analogy. People are looking at him, always oh, been mentored by some of the wise men, and he must be a man of honor. But then when you dig in, there's a lot that you might want to be quite hesitant about when it comes to Daniel Jones as a quarterback. So, that's how I put these two guys together. And something I wanted to dive in here from Sports Info Solutions, our friend Bryce Rosler put this out because with Jones and you talk about decision making. So let's talk about decision making because so often we hear the term one read quarterback. And a lot of times when that's thrown out there as like this buzzword, people really don't know what they're saying. But there's some data behind Daniel Jones's game that kind of contextualizes the fact that he might be a run one read quarterback and things kind of fall apart after that read. So this is from the article, quote, Jones was primarily asked to execute zero to one step drops, RPOs, screens, and rollouts, concepts that generally indicate simpler or even singular reads. He did so on a whopping 72.6% of his dropbacks, the eighth highest rate among 164 quarterbacks who dropped back 100 plus times in 2018. To give you an idea of how that might translate to the NFL, Nick Foles had the highest rate of 43 NFL quarterbacks at 58.3%. Only two other quarterbacks did so at a rate at above 50%, and the average rate among quarterbacks who dropped back at least 100 times was 33.8%. So as far as the quick game concepts that Duke had Daniel Jones do, an extremely high amount of those are typically one read type of deals. And, and then you're also concerned with some of the accompanying data that comes along with that. Well, what happens when he does hold on to the ball a little bit longer and takes a deeper shot? And you see that when he's throwing catchable balls at depths of 20 plus yards, he ranks 47 at 56.8%, which is low, especially compared to the other quarterbacks in the class, like Haskins ranks 15th, Drew Locke, he was sixth in the country for deep balls. So the, the talent around him not only had some more progressive reads where they had to get from one, two to three, nice and quick, but they also had that deep ball accuracy as well. So that Jones is extremely scary to me. Would you consider him, and this again, this is a buzzword that gets thrown around so much, 
a one-read quarterback, what happens after that first read that kind of falls apart for him? I mean, I think he's a quick-read quarterback. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, for example, I wrote a piece over Pro Football Weekly coming up with like the best sort of play designs kind of thing for each of the quote-unquote first-round quarterbacks, you know, Murray, Haskins, Locke, and Jones, because it does seem like he's going to get drafted in the first round. And I basically took Gruden's playbook and said, okay, here are some quick game concepts that are good for him. Because when you see how much sort of those like RPO, like read the guy, throw the slant, hand it off, or everybody's sort of favorite play of Daniel Jones, that go flat concept against Virginia where they trap the flat from the slot receiver right. and he throws the boundary, go and he drills it in there. That's a pretty simplified quick game read. But he executes it well. And so you see plays like that and you're like, look, this is what he does. But when you get into a situation where you're asking him, okay, you've got to read you know, X to Y to Z on this, it's a bit of a roller coaster. And so he's going to face an adjustment period you know, because you can't just rely on 72% of these quick game slash one read type designs in the NFL. I just don't think you could do it. The highest number was, like you said, falls last year. And so unless we're saying, hey, Philly, at 25, you're going to draft Daniel Jones, like there's going to yeah. be a steep adjustment for him in this regard. And it's part of the reason to be somewhat cautious about him. And I know he's getting first round love. I mean, you can't throw – a dart at a mock draft list without seeing him going off the board, sometimes as high as maybe even six to the Giants or, you know, the other thing is maybe 17 to the Giants, which is weird because if you like him enough to draft him at 17, but not enough at six, what does that tell you about who he is as a quarterback? Especially quarterbacks. Yeah. If you, if you like a quarterback at 17, take Get him, him at six, six because you don't want to leave it up to Cincinnati to sort of draft a quarterback in front of you. And right. so that should be the rule of thumb. Don't like just wait to see who falls to you and say, oh, well, I mean, you know, this is going to be our guy and let the gods decide yeah. who your quarterback is. And so, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm scared off of Jones. The interesting thing is I'll do radio shows. I'll do other pods and people know I'm a Patriots guy and a quarterback guy. And they'll hit me with the Jones falls to 32. What are the Patriots doing? Would you be okay if they drafted him? Mm. And first of all, I hate all of you that do that to me. Like, I just, just put that out there. But I I would kind of be okay with it because let's face it, he's not going to be starting next year unless Tom Brady and Brian Hoyer both get thrown through the moon door. Yeah, I'd be okay with it because it would be a sit and learn type of situation. And if they – he does have some nice traits to him. And yes, he has the sort of coaching lineage to him. And if it's a situation where he's not going to have to play right away, I could be okay with it. But if it's a situation like, say, the Giants where he might be playing soon or Denver where he might be playing soon or Cincinnati, I know all those teams have quarterbacks, but do they do they have quarterbacks, Michael? <laughs> or Washington where, again, do they? You know, he might be playing sooner than he should. And so right. that's what would sort of scare me off with him. I mean, I, I get why the NFL is going to like him and I get why the NFL is not going to like some of the guys that I like. Whatever. We're trying to have some fun out here because let's face it, we've all been banning our heads against the the slats over our head, you know, the floor that's been built up front of us for the past couple of months now. There's nothing left to be said about these guys. That's why we're having some fun today. Yeah, and there is one guy that we haven't talked about. We've talked a lot about Daniel Jones, but when we come back here on the QB Sco Show episode 20, we are going to talk about a quarterback we really haven't gotten into that has some interesting evaluation stuff going on with us some context needed for him or we're confused about maybe where we can fit him and we're also going to give his game of thrones comp that's up next on the qb sco show here on bleeding green nation hey this is scott galloway author professor entrepreneur and most importantly host of the prop g podcast we got a special series running on right now called the future of work where i answer all your questions on surprise 
the future of work. Questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the QB Sco Show, episode 20, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Mark, we have talked a lot about guys like Daniel Jones, Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins. We talked a lot about Brett Rippon. We're still banging that day three table for the Eagles. At least I am, and I know you're banging for the Patriots as well. But one guy that... I'm almost at a day two table for this kid now. I mean, look, they've got five picks on day two. Just come on. Don't trade Dowd or draft Vanderbilt's third safety bill. Just draft Brett Rippon so I can stop talking about this kid for a while. So before we get stuck back on that hill, because as we are apt (laughs) to do on this show, let's talk about one guy that we really haven't talked about that was a Senior Bowl invite that has some intriguing traits that you can probably work with, but had a very confusing 2018 season. The offense was weird that he played for. It was frustrating to watch, but then he had a fantastic bowl game where they kind of opened things up. He's Jared Stidham of Auburn, and I have no feel whatsoever for how the league views this guy other than I think the league is probably higher on him than I am, and you comped him to Podrick Payne, which I found was very interesting. Can you kind of explain the dilemma with Stidham and what what you think about that that comparison there? Yeah, and, and how I phrased it at the start of the article was perhaps the show's greatest enigma meets the greatest enigma of this draft class. Because yeah. let's talk about Pod because we meet him as like an odd squire to Tyrion who really doesn't need a squire. I mean, he basically said, look, my job was to fill his wine glass. Like that's what I was supposed to do. But at the Battle of Blackwater Bay, Look, he saves Tyrion. You know, Cersei has dispatched, you know, Marin Trant to kill Tyrion and he saves him. And so as a way of repaying him, Tyrion's like, here's a bag of money. Go to some of King's Landon's finer establishments and have yourself a good time. But mm-hmm. the payment is refused. And everybody's like, why? Because apparently Pod, although he doesn't look like it, is a sex god, I guess. And so <laughs> you're just like, where does this come from? And it's the same thing with later in the series when – you know, he's with Brienne and he looks like he can't even figure out how to hold a sword. But they eventually, she starts training him. He starts to learn a little bit. And when they come upon Theon and Sansa, who are making their escape from Ramsay, he's suddenly on horseback, like holding his own in a sword fight. And it's like, where did this come from? And it's yeah. the same thing with Jared Stidham. Like, what quarterback are you getting? Are you getting the guy that, you know, whether it was his bowl game against Purdue? Or senior bowl mm. week when I could easily make a case that he was the best quarterback down there in Mobile. But we probably could have seen that coming because this would have been – and I wrote this before. Joe Marito over the Draft Network wrote something along the same lines. But this is going to be the perfect environment for him. He's going to be playing for Kyle Shanahan. He's going to look great. But mm. don't overlook the film. But he did look great. He looked fantastic. And it makes you want to disregard what we've seen from him on tape. And you can make the argument that, look, that Auburn offense miscast him in Gus Malzahn's system as an option-type quarterback. But really, if you dig into it a little bit, when you see them run more downfield concepts like some Coriel stuff, some 585, some 595, you're like, he's got an arm to be a downfield passer. But then some of the other stuff was just bad. And you've got Jim Nagy out there saying, look, it was a bad situation. He literally, when they invited him to the senior bowl, put up a tweet that was basically like, look, you read between the lines, <laughs> Albert was hot garbage, okay? 
And yeah. the NFL is going to like him, which is like, all right, have fun next time you make a visit to Auburn. But that being <laughs> said, there is some truth to it. So I just – I don't know what we're getting with this kid. Like push comes to shove. He's QB7 for me. He might come off the board in the second round. He yeah. might fall to late day three. I just don't know with him. And like you don't know with Pod, there's a lot behind them, those eyes that you're just not sure about. And so <laughs> – these are two enigmas. That's how I put these guys together. When I watch Auburn's offense, it's like the the sloth from what is it? Zuto is it Zootopia? What's, yeah. what's the movie? It's got yeah. that slow smiling sloth. Like their offense moves at such a weird pace, and it's such a weird offense overall. And, and it's it's hard, man. When you see the bowl game, you see it open it up, and he and he balls out. You're like, why didn't you just run that for most of the season? Right. I could have more film of that and to to go off of. And you were asking me the other day. He's like, guys, do you have fits? For where sit him like what type of offense and kind of going back to like the Daniel Jones thing right. like maybe a, a quick read type RPO type system might be better for him but I'm not sure I wa- I watched forty quarterbacks last summer and I'm gonna do something like that again and I'm gonna need a new hobby maybe it's clearly something like Game of Thrones because as people can probably tell I throw myself into things and get a little addicted that's a question for they said new hobby yeah, new, new hobby, hobby new hobby. <laughs> What am I going to do? Play a new video game? I guess I could do that. Yep. But anyway, so as part of my process, each summer I identify like what might be the best sort of scheme for a guy. And then I sort of like try to watch that unfold over the next season. And now we had tape for him back to Baylor in 2015. A couple of games right. that he started there. And then obviously the Art Browse situation went the way it probably should have. And so last summer, I wrote down, look, this is a scheme-diverse quarterback. I think he could fit in any system. I see some quick game stuff. I see some deep stuff. I see some time and rhythm stuff. And then when I got done watching him this year, I'm like, I don't know. And I did write this week over at Pro Football Weekly, my landing spot for him was Atlanta. And that might sound a little weird, but one, they might have one of the rougher backup quarterback situations. The NFC South has two pretty rough backup quarterback situations. There's Atlanta, and after Ryan, they've got Schaub and Kirk Bankert. Mm. Probably need an upgrade at the backup spot. And then at Carolina, you've got Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen. And with Cam Newton's injury, you might want to have a backup spot there. I'd point them towards, say, upstate New York and Tyree Jackson. But that's a different Mm. conversation. But with Atlanta, you've just hired Dirk Cutter. And where's he come from? The Coriel system, the downfield right. passing game. And you look again in that Auburn offense, and like I was just saying, when they went more downfield Coriel type stuff, Stidham did some nice things. Of course, there were still examples of him missing horribly. Like he had a flea flicker against Mississippi State. I don't even think there was somebody within 30 yards of this guy. And he had a clean pocket and just missed it. And it's just like, what are we doing out here? <laughs> but at the same time, you still see him make some throws even in that game on vertical concepts. So I think that could work. So I think the scheme fit with him might be a Coriel system or at least a system rooted in more vertical concepts. But I, you see him to making some time and rhythm throws. You can see him doing some quick game stuff. So I think he's still pretty diverse, much more diverse, I think, than Daniel Jones, who we just talked about. But I still don't know. Again, he's an enigma. Is he the next Dak Prescott? <laughs> oh, dude. You he, know I hate that. It's coming, though. You know what's going to happen. I mean, he's going to yeah. look great in the preseason wherever he ends up. And people could be like, oh, there we go. It's Dak 2.0. I can't I can't wait for that. And I and I really like honestly, I don't know what to expect with the guy. Yeah. So if it happened, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be too I mean, it would be kind of mind blowing because I don't think he's all that good. 
it would definitely make sense that that there's something missing there that we're not seeing thanks right. to Arbor and the different situations he's been in. A, a couple other comps that I really like that I wanted to get to before we get out of here. Uh, first off, I think with all the stuff that we've talked about with Buffalo quarterback Tyree Jackson possibly being too tall where he locks that front leg and then comping that to Jamie Lannister who has his own limitations with a missing hand. I thought that was brilliant. We could talk about that or we can talk about one that I really, really love and we haven't talked about him much Will Greer from West Virginia, you comped him to Sir Braun of the Blackwater. I love that. The the unorthodox manner in which he goes about things, but also that the, I think you put it as cautious aggression. I really like that because, like we said, I think we've called him Thrill Greer, yeah. Thrill Greer on here before. So what do you think about Greer as Sir Braun of the Blackwater? Yeah, I that might be my favorite of these 10 here. And let me just say, I know we're going to inevitably get a gentle listener. It's going to say, wait, no comp for Aria, no comp for Cersei, no comp for Daenerys. Look, let's be honest, friends. This cast of characters, these quarterbacks, nobody's really worried of, say, the Aria comp, all right? <laughs> like, if there's somebody I'm comping to Aria, it's Baker last year. Why? Because both of those people, whether it's Aria or Baker, they want to cut your throat at the 50-yard line, and they will revel in watching you yeah. die, okay? So there's your Aria comp. Are, we, <laughs> is, are any of these clowns worthy of being comped to Brienne? Like a ba- an absolute badass? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Maybe Justin Herbert next year could be Brienne, yeah. but – this is an interesting quarterback group, but we're digging into the cast not, of characters pretty deep here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as for Braun, look, Braun's one of I think everybody's sort of favorite characters, right? Yeah. I mean, the scene where he the trial by combat, you don't fight with honor, no. But he <laughs> yeah. did, as he like boots the dude through the moon door. I mean, that's was like talking to Greer in Mobile when he's just like, "What are you talking about? I don't have the best arm in this class." Of course I do. <laughs> What are you talking about? I'm out throwing the combat. Of course I am. <laughs> it looks completely ugly at times. The mechanic, like think about the senior bowl, the game itself, his best play. He's rolling to his left and throws like a YOLO ball in the general direction of Hunter Renfro. Renfro comes down with it. Like it doesn't look pretty. One of my favorite throws of him was in his season opener against Tennessee. He throws this dig route amidst four defenders. And you're like, at first blush, why are you throwing this? This is ridiculous. It goes for a touchdown. And when you dig into it you're like oh these two guys were in trail coverage he knows the safety can't get there he knows that corner won't peel off in time so it makes some sense it looks ugly might not always look pretty but it works for him and he's got like i said that appropriate aggression to him where he'll take some risks at times that make sense but he also knows if his buddy is staring down drogon and he's about to get roasted he knows look let's live then fight for another day we're not going to win this one so let's dunk it into the black water rush Good stuff, good stuff. I was just looking up Bronx. I was looking for his, his official title. What he is? A, he's a sir. He is sir. He was given sir broad of the Blackwater. Yeah. yeah. So he went from sellsword. We'll see if Wilger can go from sellsword to sir as we go through this I process. I think he could. I think yeah. he could. I mean, where do you like his fit? I like him in Washington. Like that's yeah. what I wrote. I, I said, look, if you think about Washington the past couple of seasons, you could go back and find articles from like 2015 where they had a loss to Dallas. I remember I reread this article this week when I was writing about Greer to Washington, and they missed some chances, some opportunities downfield. And Jay Gruden was like, well, we had some stuff schemed open, but for whatever reason, the quarterback didn't see it. Which is coach speak for our QB needs to, you know. Be a little bit more aggressive here because I'm doing my job. He needs to make some throws and take some chances. So they move on from Kirk Cousins. They bring in Alex Smith, who, let's face it, I mean, he's not exactly known for his testicular fortitude when it comes to taking chances downfield. And now that's a bit of a question mark. And so you're bringing Case Keenum. And 
reading about Case Keenum's year last year, I was reading a piece from the Denver Post, and it's like, yeah, he hasn't thrown a lot of interceptions because he's not taking any chances with the football, and they're missing out on opportunities downfield. Well, that's three quarterbacks in a row that are rather conservative, shall we say, with how they approach play in the position. Will Greer is not that. And if you're looking for a quarterback that will finally live up to what you are scheming as an offensive-minded head coach, Greer might be the guy to do that. Now, all of that being said, it does seem like perhaps the rumblings and the wind seems to be pointed in the direction of Josh Rosen to Washington, which would be something to watch. But if Washington does not go that route, I think Greer makes a lot of sense. Last one, Mark. Have you seen the picture? I think it was uh, Josh Josh Cheramita put out Bran on some red carpet event, you know, whatever. Oh, yes. Looks exactly like Benjamin Solak. Is your comp for Benjamin Solak Bran, the three-eyed Raven? I think it makes so much sense. The three-eyed Raven is a bit of a savant. Like, come on, man. I mean, that's, that's spot on. If we're doing sort of, and I actually did this at a group DM the other day, and I'm not going to start naming <laughs> names, but I did, we were having some fun with doing some Game of Thrones football Twitter comps, and we were having some fun with it. Yeah, the Brad Benjamin Solak one is extremely apt, as is, I think people might say, Arif Hassan and Tyrion Lannister. I mean, I think that one Ooh. really fits well. And by the way, Mike, since I know you're going to ask, <laughs> you are Varys. Ooh. It's because you do have the army of gentle listeners. They're your little spiders. Yes. And yes. again, since people will probably ask, I am Sir Barristan because I'm old, I'm over the hill, and chances are I might just you know die in a back alley somewhere. I like the Varus one because, for instance, if if someone says something about me online, typically you like, hear about it quickly, don't I you? I do, I do, and I don't have to search by oh. name. People come and tell me like that's that's how subtweeting works. Number one, I think subtweeting is for cowards. Right. Let, 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 let's face it. Westeros was an awful, brutal place, but there are some aspects of Westeros I think we need to bring to the timeline. One of which is honor. Yeah. It, don't send a raven at somebody. Exactly. You want to talk to me, come at me. Otherwise, my little, my little birds spiders. are going to tell me. My spiders are going to tell me what's what's going on, and that's how I'm going to come seek you out and destroy you. So <laughs> so I, I like the Varus comp. That's nice. Plus, we're both bald. It makes yeah. sense there, too. I got a little more working for me <laughs> below the belt, but we'll look past that. You know, Not every comp is going to be perfect. It's not a one-for-one. One. You know, For example, the Brandon Stark comp in this article I wrote – it was Ryan Finley, and it is not because I'm knocking Ryan Finley's lack of athleticism, okay? I mean, that's, I that's thought it not was, where yeah. I'm going with it, which is why I had to put it up front. No, it's because, you know, Finley has good processing speed. He seems to be able to sort of see everything on the field. Syracuse spun their safeties a ton at the snap, and he read it perfectly almost every single time. Now, does he see absolutely everything? No. Can he work? I don't know. I didn't get a chance to ask him down in Mobile. Maybe <laughs> if he could, he's QB1. Let's face it, because a war gets some defenders and drop picks. Imagine a warging quarterback. If you if you were a quarterback and you could warg, or maybe even a different position, if you could warg, how would you use that on the football field? Can I warg into the football? Can I just like slip out of someone's hands? I, I don't know. I don't, can you warg into a football? I don't know. All very good questions. I don't remember. I recall any references, at least even in the books, people warging into inanimate objects. Of course, the books. It's pigskin, man. They go into. They're going to. I'm grasping for straws. No, here. I think you might be onto something. You warg into the cow that eventually gets turned into. Because didn't. Was it Monday morning quarterback? They actually had a piece where they tracked the cow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was. I forget who wrote that. I forget her name, but they. she was like, I remember the tweet. They said it couldn't be done, but we did it. We, we followed a cow. Until becoming a football. Like if That's you could amazing. warg into the cow, 
and then like somehow <laughs> take on some different kind of diet to make yourself slippery. And then Bran, who yeah. people speculate might have some time travel abilities and some time shifting abilities to him, then you like spin it all forward and like influence a game by having the ball be slippery and it bounces out of somebody's hands for a critical fumble. Yeah. Maybe. My theory is that Bran is Bran the Builder, the one who yes, built the wall. That is a theory. It's starting to get a little on the nose now as we start to move towards season eight, which I'm very much so looking forward to. And I'm very much so looking forward to the NFL draft, which happens around the same time. We'll see who wins out in my house as far as TV time goes. Hopefully it's the draft. I mean, that's what we're here for. But that, for now, is going to do it for the QB Sco Show, episode 20. Mark, had a good time with you today, brother. It's good to be back in the good chair. Good to be back in the saddle, isn't it, my friend? I'm sure you missed the timeline. I unplugged for two full days. How did, did that not feel? Take a look at anything. It was amazing. It was, I wish I could unplug forever but unfortunately i have to plug things and being on social media is part of that twitter it's so, it's like milk of the poppy in some sense i need to be treated with milk of the poppy sometimes <laughs> along the timeline all right so that's going to do it for the qp sco show episode 20 remember go to apple Podcasts, leave a rating leave a review give us five stars let us know what you think about it if you're particularly mean to ben we'll read it out on the kist and solak show when we go through our next batch of itunes and apple podcast reviews thank you so much for listening to the qp sco show here on Bleeding Green Nation. BGN. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.